Well, that was the opening music to the Ghost Breakers. And this is our first bonus episode as part of our Patreon. So for all of you that have joined Patreon, thank you so much. And we're excited about this new part of our podcasting journey. And we have more content planned for the next several months. And at Tier 3, we have a special episode covering Alien, the 40th anniversary of Alien. So uh, that's also available on Patreon. And this movie, The Ghost Breakers, was released in 1940 and was directed by George Marshall and stars Bob Hope, Paulette Goddard. Paulette Goddard, yes. Uh-huh. And Richard Carlson, Paul Lucas, and Willie Best. Can't forget Anthony Quinn as a, a double role, sort of. He looks so young in this movie, it was, it was weird. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net. And in Facebook or Apple Podcast, just search for Classic Movie Reviews. Actually, in Facebook, you have to search for classicmoviereviews.net. And, on, and we're on Patreon now. So you can find us on there as well. Just search for Classic Movie Reviews on Patreon. And this is uh, Matt Johnson coming to you from rainy, windy North Bend today. And this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, and welcome to Patreon. The director, George Marshall, every time I I hear his name, I think of uh, the uh, George Marshall that was the uh, leader and commander of our military forces in World War II. This is a different George Marshall did a lot of silent films, and I did a couple of movies that I really like, uh, among, among many. But the Blue Dahlia from 1946 and The Sheep Man from 1958 with Shirley MacLaine and Glenn Ford. He was, uh, he was a very uh, busy director, particularly in the silent era. This was released a year before my birth, so I didn't go to the movie when it first came out. Not possible to do that, but I did see it in college because they had uh, a theater in Boulder that we could see a lot of these films uh, at. Boy, I tell you, Bob Hope and Paulette Goddard and Richard Carlson and Paul Lucas, because I wanted to mention Paul Lucas particularly. He won an Academy Award in 1943, I believe, a uh, movie called Watch on the Rhine that he did with Betty Davis. Excellent film about early stages of the uh, Nazi movement. Uh, excellent movie if you get a chance to see it. And uh, William Best, and what a career he had, and he died at a, such a young age, 45. I know, he died so young, but he had made a lot of movies. Yeah, over 100. And, and again, uh, like the last podcast with The Wrong Man, I have to frame this film around what the country was like in 1940. Um, in terms of opportunities for African-American, Hispanic, uh, any number of groups and individuals. Uh, but he, he muscled through for a long time. I was reading about him and his biography, and, and he was saying that the only roles that he could ever really get were playing sort of like this uh, this kind of role that he's had in The Ghostbreakers, where he's sort of the manservant or sometimes a janitor, you know, just kinds of roles that didn't have necessarily a lot of depth to them. And we're pretty stereotypical, but he said, "What am I going to do? I want to, I want to act, and this is what I'm getting. So I'm, this is what I'm going to do." And then apparently, it kind of came back. And during the civil rights era, 
people were kind of on his case about the fact that he'd made all these stereotyped kind of almost racist kind of kind of roles so he was screwed if you do screwed if you don't kind of a thing yeah it was a double whammy and a couple of quotes that i found really uh, interesting hal roach who did so many films with his uh, studio said that uh, william best was one of the greatest talents he had ever met or worked with and bob hope uh, said this is a direct quote from what i was reading the best actor I know. And there were glimpses of that in the film. I mean, it was like, I kept thinking to myself, what an opportunity this was for him. And and he he shined through the whole film. He was really, really talented, I think. I, I just wished, you know, I was watching it and I thought that he did really, I mean, he was awesome. Like he was such a great actor in the film. And I just, yeah, I was like you, I thought this was a missed opportunity because if it had been written slightly differently and just taken out some of the racist stereotype comments and and little quips and things that they put in there that he could have it could have been a great buddy movie like a really great buddy movie where these were just two best friends instead of his manservant oh totally totally and then i I did want to mention um richard carlson aka hugh marlowe Every time, every time I see Richard oh my gosh. Carlson, I... <laughs> why does he come? He keeps coming up on our show. We've talked about him for the last three episodes, and finally, and now he's in a movie. That we're I know. Reviewing. Every time I see him, I think of him, and I wonder if he and Hugh Marlowe were friends in real life because they were <laughs> they were actors at about the same period of time, and they had somewhat the same careers, and they so look like one another. But although he looked really different to me in this movie, he he just looked younger, and and I didn't recognize him at first. Well, the first time I saw him in the film, I thought, this guy isn't what he seems. He's he's too smooth and suave. There's something else going on here. Oh, of course. But I just a couple of films that, uh, again, we have not reviewed. King Solomon's Minds from 1950. He's excellent in that. And, of course, we've done uh, Creature. We did Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, we did early on, yeah. Yeah, so he, he had a long career. He was a... Uh, Phi Beta Kappa, a graduate from the University of Minnesota, had a very long career and actually directed four films. So, And then Paul Lucas, a favorite of mine. He, do you remember, I think we, uh, we've talked about what we have not done, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea from 1954. He's in that film. He's in, he was in films from 1920 until 1970. Wow, that's a long that's a long career, and, and not just not just on the sidelines. He was the main character in many of them. He made over ninety films. Bob Hope. I mean, it's amazing his career. He donated eighty five thousand pages of laughs and jokes to the Library of Congress. Oh my gosh! Wow, can you imagine that? That's a truckload of stuff. That is a lot of jokes. He hosted the Academy Award show nineteen times. Wow. He co-authored or helped write 14 books. He did seven road pictures with Bing Crosby and Dorothy L'Amour. And this one I found amazing. He did 57 USO tours to uh, military bases and, and troops from World War II through the Vietnam conflict. Whenever I think of Bob Hope, I think of those USO tours. That those He just did so many of those, and I just think it was really cool that he, he went out and, and did that. He, he he lived to be two months older than 100, and he told friends he wanted to live longer than uh, George Burns. And he made it by just a few months. He said that he liked this role because he played a hero in it instead of sort of the coward. 
<laughs> so. Yeah, he he did a lot of these, like Pale Face, Son of Pale Face, The Road Pictures. Two films that listeners may enjoy that um, he did that are more serious. One is The Seven Little Foys that he did in 1957. He played May, uh, the mayor of New York City, Jimmy Walker. No, I'm, I'm sorry, mixing up the films. He did the, the Life of Eddie Foy in 1955. No, he did the Bo James film in 1957 where he played mayor of New York City, Jimmy mm-hmm. Walker. Mm. What a talent. Uh, and Paulette Goddard, a very long, distinguished career. I thought she did great in the film. I really liked her in this role. When she swims out of the uh, Caribbean to the island in that suit and she takes off her swimming cap her hair is immaculate it's it's like wow <laughs> that's not easy to do in the ocean she lived to be 94 and uh, her life uh, she went, in her later life she lived in switzerland one other thing on willie best i read that he lived at the motion picture and television fund uh retirement home there and that he actually actually passed away there yeah, that's that's true. Bob Hope did a number of these. Uh, one that John and I watched just a few months ago that's similar to this with Paulette Goddard, uh, Goddard was The Cat and the Canary. Yeah, this was actually kind of supposed to be a follow-up to that because that movie did fairly well and, and they seemed to kind of have a good chemistry. So they did this movie as a follow-up and it was put together really quickly, this this film. Did you did you did you enjoy the current humor that he would put into the film? There were about a half a dozen of those comments that were sort of aimed at the current political climate or what was going on outside of the plot of the movie. There was one about Democrats that really stood out. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> he had he, he he did that in a lot of his films. He and Crosby together, they loved to do that. They'd ad lib these lines. The film is is uh, pretty straightforward, I thought. But I, I thought that there were some really pretty outstanding aspects to it as well. There was some great matte painting, I thought, uh, with the, the castle and the, the mood that they set on that island, I thought was pretty pretty good. I never want to visit that island. It was so gloomy. <laughs> no, oh, no, thank you. And the ghost effect that they did when that guy came out of the cabinet and kind of walked around. Yes, that was uh, that was state of the art in 1940. Really reminded me of the Disneyland ride, the, the haunted the haunted mansion. I also like the tiny home that the uh, zombie lived in with that woman. It was uh, right when right on the dock. I'm like, yeah, the the mother and her the mother and her zombie son. Oh, was <laughs> she the, was... was she his mother? Yeah, that's an that's an odd original. I think so. One of the things I noticed about the film is it had two or three loose ends at the end. Like, what happened to the zombie? He got locked up and we never see him again. And then, the, you remember the, the uh, man that kept bumping into Paulette Goddard on three different scenes? Yeah, that was really weird. And, and it looked like he was involved because he was giving Anthony Quinn some kind of motion not to pursue something. But then he just never appeared again. It's like they cut some scene or a couple scenes that he was in later that would have explained who he was. It was so strange. Yeah, that those those two things that we'll never know. We'll never know what happened to them. I laughed so hard though when they're kind of near the end there in the in the mine. Uh, Richard Carlson's character Jeff Montgomery is standing there with a gun on him, and then. Willie Best, who his character name is Alex, accidentally pushes a lever or something, and the whole floor comes out from underneath Jeff Montgomery. Now, wait a minute. Let Mary go. 
Nobody's going to carry any tales out of here. Close your eyes. Close your eyes! Boss, did I press the wrong button? <laughs> that was that was the end of that was the end of Richard Carlson. <laughs> it was so unexpected, and it was just like, whoa, okay. Uh, I laughed about that. That was great. It makes me it makes me want to watch the Cat and the Canary again because I think it came first, and I just I've seen it, but I can't remember the plot. These are movies that uh, maybe six months from now I'll have difficulty re- recalling, as opposed to like uh, my favorite all time comedy horror movie. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I will never forget that one because it's it's even scarier and it's got a ties everything up at the end and every single monster from Universal Studios was in it. Yeah, that was a good one. It had uh, the Wolfman. I think it had Dracula in it. Frankenstein, the Invisible Man at the end. Right, the Invisible Man. That was good. This movie, you know, Bob Hope's character gets in trouble with the mob, the mafia in in New York City, and and. Yeah, Frenchie. Frenchie Frenchie was after him. How'd you like the program? Oh, you were wonderful, if you're any judge. I'll think of something. Hello. Oh, hello, Frenchie. How'd you like the ad? Okay, Larry, but you had the story a little wrong. Yeah. Come on over to the hotel. Uh, You're not sore, are you? No, I'm not sore. Why should I be? I'm just asking you to come over to the hotel so I can give it to you straight. Yeah, Yeah, well, sure, Frenchie. I'll be right over. Yeah. Why don't you give it to me straight? Uh Uh-oh. Well, it's been nice knowing you. Hey, Gert, Frenchie DeVal just phoned off. Whatever happened to him at the end of the film? That's another loose end. Uh, Frenchie? Yeah. Just, I just, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, they just sort of like, just didn't even bother tying up some of these loose ends. But then he, he gets kind of like accidentally put in a chest that is being shipped to Cuba with Mary Carter, who's going to Cuba to uh, inherit this castle. And then just all kinds of like hilarity ensues. And I, I liked it when they're on the deck of the ship and... Lawrence, Larry Lawrence, who's Bob Hope's character, says to, uh, I forget who he was talking to. I think it was um, Parada, Paul Lucas's character, about how he's a ghost breaker. Uh, yes, it was. He was trying to impress Lucas's character that he uh, he was a tough guy. He was going to look into this and not let anything happen to uh, Mary Carter. There's a great deal of fog on Black Island. You know, at times it completely shrouds the castle. You can't discourage me. I'm going to have fun in Cuba. A daiquiri at the Florida, a rumba at the National, and the beer barrel poker at Sloppy Joe. There are certain things that travel folders do not mention. Ghosts again? I was a skeptic too until I saw with my own eyes this malignant force at work in your castle. Priests might call it a demon. The natives call it voodoo. Is there any particular reason why this malignant force should pick on my castle? Some say it's because this remote ancestor of yours who built it was Cuba's greatest slave trader. So it's perhaps the vengeance of all those lost souls 
who've been tortured, starved, and, and murdered in the castle dungeon. Pardon me, am I protruding? Lovely view, isn't it? Mr. Lawrence, I want you to meet Mr. Parada. He's just been telling me about the castle I've inherited. How do you do? Well, I feel as though I know you. I've heard so much. You've been in Havana before? No, first trip. Pleasure trip? Not exactly. Are you interested in tobacco plantations? No. Sugar industry? Look, I'll save you a lot of time. I'm a ghost breaker. A what? Well, you've heard of trust breakers and home breakers. I'm a ghost breaker. I take family skeletons out of the closet and dust them off. I explain mysteries that people don't want to explain. I just like that scene because he's like, okay, I'm going to stand up to this guy. And I'm, I'm, and he had some pretty... He had another interesting line Bob, Bob Hope did when he's talking to... I think it was that same character, Parada, about how... Uh, he's 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 not a he's not a hero. He's a, he's kind of a coward. But uh, what happens when he's a coward? He, he sort of just shoots anything that moves. And just tell your friends that tonight when I'm at the castle, uh, that that's kind of what happens when I get scared. I just shoot. I am simply doing my best to make clear to you that Miss Carter is taking her life in her hands if she goes into that castle tonight. You know that gives me an idea that scares me out of my wits. What? I'll go there first. You're a brave man. Me? No, my nerves are the breakaway kind. I've got rabbit blood in me. Why, do you know what's liable to happen if I should see a ghost there tonight? No. I'd be so scared I'd probably take a shot at it. Won't I feel silly shooting ghosts? <laughs> but that's me all over. Tell your friends. I'll be seeing you. It was kind of a threat, but it was done in a way that was sort of like, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of what you said earlier. This would have been a terrific buddy movie. It really would, with hope and best. It really wouldn't even have taken that much effort no. to just change Alex's character oh. slightly to just be like his best friend. And then I think this movie would have just been outstanding. I would have absolutely loved it. I do want to like make sure we leave time in the episode to, to have uh, you and Nancy sat down and talked about this film because you had both watched it. I'd love to hear what the both of you had to say. So let's... Let's cut over to that, and then when we come back, we'll, we'll talk about our ratings. So I'd like to uh, introduce Nancy Paula Rubin. Nancy and I were married uh, in 2014. Nancy is a guest on our show today. So welcome to our show, Nancy. Well, thank you very much. And the opportunity to watch a movie with you is always fun for me. Me too. Yeah, and and what I thought about the movie is kind of a, a broad question. I thought it would be scarier and funnier. It had its moments, some scary, sort of, some funny, but overall, I think I was expecting just a lot more. I, I feel the same way. In fact, I was thinking uh, when it concluded... Uh, there were so many loose ends that they hadn't answered. For example, what happened to the zombie that was locked in that room, that closet? Whatever happened? And why was he running around like that? And was that his mother in the cabin there with him? Or who was that? There were a lot of loose ends in this movie, and I suppose mm -hmm. that's like, like life. There's always a lot of loose ends, but... Um, in movies, especially from that era, you kind of think it's all going to be more tucked in than it 
turned out to be. Another loose end, there was a uh, man that kept uh, running into Paulette Goddard's character. And, and she kept bumping into this gentleman both when they were loading the baggage on the ship and then on the ship. And then later when they got to Cuba. And then he, he disappeared. For the whole time, I'm thinking, he's got to be a part of the villainous plot. There was a lot of that. Like, what happened to Frenchie? I mean, you got the sense he wanted to kill Bob Hope's character, but he didn't even come out of the room when somebody was shot just a door or two down from him. And there was that character who hung a scary thing and... Oh, on her door. Uh, yes, on her door, and you never saw him again. And we laughed because we've seen him in The Thin Man. We thought he was running off for another scene in The Thin Man, uh, which is why he uh, couldn't stay longer to be identified. They were only going to pay him for one day, so he had to leave. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was comparing it as we watched it to another high-end film that we've reviewed on our po earlier podcast, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. And to me, that was a more interesting and, and, and better-shaped film because it was scarier and it had more jokes and it had a conclusion. Yes, I, I agree. That one fits the bill a little bit better than than this bill. Of course, we're looking at this film through today's eyes. Uh, I can't imagine getting on a cruise ship and then just saying, oh, I'm here, uh, get me a cabin. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it works that way, even if they're kind of short passengers. So I think we, we were looking at it through today's eyes, as well as some of, of the dialogue um, in today's world, nobody would say some of the things no. that were said. Thankfully, nobody would say those things. Um, so there was a part of that, I think, that um, rubbed up against us, you and I both thinking, gee, I wish they wouldn't say those kinds of comments. They're not appropriate, funny, or anything anybody really wants to hear. I struggle with that with a lot of the films that we review, particularly those in the <clears throat> 40s, to try to frame it in the context of the time they, they made it, because this was distributed in June of 1940. And William Best, who I thought did an excellent job for the limited role that they gave him as Alex, Bob Hope's uh, valet, was a marvelous actor, and yet... When you look at it in the perspective of 70 years or 75 years ago, it's grating to see that and watch that because he was so much more talented. And we were talking at lunch today. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice if he were in film today because he had so much to offer and he had this stereotypical role that far underplayed his talent? Well, Willie Best was my absolute favorite character in this movie. And I think just, he didn't even have to speak. Just the way he carried himself and the expressions he he um, gave or came across his face. And, and also, um, when he was muttering to himself, I, I thought he was hysterical. And, and at one point, they referred to him as... Um, Bob Hope's character, uh, 
his man, but I really think it was the other way. <laughs> I really think Bob Hope was uh, much more um, Willie Best's man than the other uh, way around. I'm so sorry that he died such a young man and we didn't get to have more of him because he really, really, I thought, was a great uh, comedian and straight man and an actor overall. I read where he died at the age of 45 from cancer at the Motion Picture and Television mm -hmm. Fund Hospital that they, I think, closed a few years ago. I think it's gone now. But uh, a couple of quotes that I read about uh, Mr. Best, uh, one by uh, Bob Hope, who said that uh, Mr. Best was the best actor he knew. And he said he didn't qualify that at all. I didn't put any parameters around that at all. And Hal Roach said that Mr. Best was one of the greatest talents he had ever worked with or met. And here he is in this role. So, it, again, uh, we, we did a review. Our last podcast had some of the same things in it. And I had to say to Matt, it's really hard sometimes to frame it in the context of 1940s filmmaking. We were so lucky that we got exposure to him, got to see him got to see his own particular talent. Um, I'm very grateful for that. I thought that uh, the main character, Paula oh, Goddard, um, as Mary, I, I really enjoyed her, and I, I thought she did a good job, and um, she had a lot of spunk. Uh, I thought that was great. I, I thought that was really interesting that she evidently jumped from the cruise ship and and uh, swam all the way yeah. to her island. Um, you don't see that every day. And she looked pretty good afterwards. <laughs> she looked she looked really not even winded, Petite. actually. Yeah, not even winded. But I liked her in that role. And in some really strange ways, she was very believable. And she um, wasn't going to be scared off from something that she felt was rightfully hers. And when she came down the steps dressed as her oh. ancestor, oh my gosh, that in some ways was like a startling moment. <laughs> that was really scary in a, in a way, but she she did a great job, and I, I um, appreciated her for what she did. The painting of her on the wall, of her great-great-great-grandmother or relative of something. Right. I wonder if when the film was done, if they presented that that uh, painting to her as a gift. Because it, it looked, I mean, it was obviously painted with her. I'm not sure where you'd put a painting that size. <laughs> she had a big house. Uh, or you could do like what we do with paintings like that. We put them in the garage and we enjoy them every time we pull the car out. <laughs> yeah, some, someday. I think I read where she retired and led a wonderful life in Switzerland oh. after her Hollywood career. I hope she didn't have to swim there. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. She's still swimming. Yes. Uh, well, that, that, I, I appreciate you sitting down with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's nice to be part of the family business. And we'll have you on many more times. And um, I want to thank the listeners. I hope they oh, enjoyed uh, this segment. Well, that was really cool. I was really happy that Nancy could uh, join us on that. And you had something funny that you said about uh, Nancy's initials 
and a radio program that was popular <laughs> yes. there in Los Angeles. What was that? Oh, yes. Uh, Nancy, Nancy's full name is Nancy Paula Rubin. And so for our podcast, we've decided that we will uh, name Nancy the other NPR, yeah. <laughs> National Public Radio. She really enjoyed uh, the interview and watched the film. Uh, we watched the film night before last and looking forward to have her uh, be a guest quite often. And uh, with some tinkering with the microphone and the setup, we'll get a better sound quality. Uh, well, she comes across really well, and, the, uh, and I'm a little faded. But, uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, we both uh, got a kick out of the film. And uh, it was very iconic for the 1940s. Yeah. So what did you what did you rate the movie? I gave the movie a uh, six, and uh, I I did that because I love the atmospherics, the cinematography, the setup. But I was uh, sort of taken aback and not not enjoying the uh, the role that William Best played as Alex. I I just felt that was underdeveloped, and I thought the uh, plot left an awful lot of uh, loose ends at the end and while they were at the uh the uh black island was it in the castle mm -hmm. the yeah. uh the scary parts were were scary of course but uh, i kept in my mind uh, cross-referencing my joy at watching abbott and costello meet frankenstein and and the uh more significant scares that you get in that film i do have one trivia thing though for the film that I did not see in the film, and I want to watch it again. So listeners might want to take a look to see if they can see Robert Ryan in an uncredited part as an intern. Yeah, I, I, I read that after I'd watched the movie, and I was like, oh, darn, I don't have time to go back and look for him. But he must have been an intern at the radio station. That's got to be, that's the only place there could have been an intern. That intrigues me, because uh, he would have been about, 18 years old that time at that time <laughs> so what was your what was your take on the film i thought this was right down the middle with a five i i thought it was enjoyable in parts and and really cringy in other parts and i know that we're i know that we're not supposed to or it's we probably would be ill served to try to put this in the context of 2019 but at the same time it's really hard not to. <laughs> I just thought it was so lazy of the way they wrote Alex's character. I just didn't enjoy parts of that. I, I loved his performance with what he had, but it really detracted from me being able to enjoy the whole movie. And then, yeah, if you if you gave any thought at all to the plot, it's just ridiculous and falls apart so fast because there's a lot of loose ends and things don't really tie together. And it's kind of like one of these movies that you just want to get. It's just getting from one kind of scene to the next um, for the next laugh, sort of. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't usually go down as low as a five, but um, this one hit that middle, middle part of the rating scale for me. I think me. that pretty well wraps it up. And we did a pretty good job of not giving away all the plot endings, reasonably so. There's still lots of things in there to see that we didn't talk about, so plenty to plenty to see so yeah that was uh the ghost breakers and every month we're going to have a bonus episode it, it may or may not kind of fall within the parameters of the theme that we're having for that run of movies but uh it'll be available on patreon at, at tier two 
and at tier three. Yeah, look for the next one next month. Coming up next, we have a journey to the center of the earth. So we're looking forward to that. That's part of our Bernard Herrmann uh, film festival. It's the last film in that film festival. And coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt Johnson. And Bob Johnson in Los Angeles wishing everyone happy movie watching. Hey, Commodore. Yes? Who was that playing down Santiago? He wasn't playing. That was a real ghost. Now we have something to worry about on our honeymoon. Our what? Our honeymoon, didn't I tell you? No, but I'd like to hear about it. You will? rating scale, mm-hmm. as you know, 1 to 10, with 1 being Plan 9 from Outer Space, if we even gave it a 1, I can't remember, or Orgy of the Dead, and 10 being Best Years of Our Lives or Grapes of Wrath. Where would you, where would you place the Ghostbreakers in that scale? I think somewhere between a 4 and 5. I gave it that because of the hokey factor. <laughs> Not to mention the three loose ends that we will never know no, the answer to. Yes, that. yes. 